This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. How are things, Adam? How are you doing? I'm all right. I got a late start this morning, so I'm only like one sip into coffee. I'm only I'm only dipping my toe into the water of this day, mm. so you'll have to yeah. bear with me here. That's fine. I've got, um, for the first time in ages, actually, I'm on my second coffee of the day. Now, I used to be, I don't know if addict's the right word, potentially is. I need someone of a medical profession to clear this up, but I could have five, six espressos it, it, within coffee not just like espressos on their own but maybe a flat white or or a latte um throughout a day and then i just had to i just had to stop it my health was not getting there so i've, I've cut down but for the first time in a while i'm on two so if you see me sort of combusting and starting shaking um you may have to intervene with some medical assistance see i'm only i need coffee but i drink very little of it i drink like half a cup if i had a full cup i would be like the hairs on my body would be vibrating. <laughs> mad, mad. I've, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a brutal stuff. It's a really brutal stuff. Um, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. We may need it to get through this episode. We'll, we'll kick off with our Copenhagen review of, of the goalless draw. Okay, that will do for our Copenhagen <laughs> review of the goalless draw. Uh, joking, joking. Well, well, kind of. But um, Copenhagen nil, City nil. Uh, a point that takes City into the knockouts is probably the most exciting thing that happened in this game. It didn't even happen during the game. It came afterwards. I would say, for me, and I'm sure you'll agree, the best thing about this match was the Section 12 Ultras behind the goal. And that says a lot. 
Yeah, they had me dancing during halftime in my kitchen. <laughs> I could hear them dancing to various house tunes that they were playing in the stadium at halftime. And I was in my kitchen making myself lunch, just kind of like bouncing on my toes as they did. Um, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was certainly different to the Etihad. <laughs> you could say, you could say. Um, what time would that have been? Because it was an early kickoff. Well, for everyone, really, compared to the usual ones, it was five forty-five PM here. What 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 time was kickoff? Yeah, over so that's uh, nine forty-five AM kickoff. Is the early Champions League mad. games here? Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. So you literally, for some people, their everyday life, probably me included, wouldn't even be out of bed at that time. And you've got matches going on. Obviously, it's not even the the earliest game. Um, but yeah, let let's delve into a little bit of the football, if we may. Um, three major talking points, really, all coming in that first half, all coming inside half an hour, really. Actually, after that, there was there was not really anything that went on. But um, we'll work our way backwards to them then. Sergio Gomez, red card. Now, I'm not going to say it's been coming for Sergio Gomez. I think he's done well since he came into the team. But there have been a few question marks defensively, and rightly so, because he's a young lad. Playing out of position probably isn't the way you describe him, but certainly, you know, we've said many a time he came through the Barcelona Academy as a central attacking midfielder. He played there a bit at Dortmund, um, got moved about, obviously went to Anderlecht and, and sort of found a role at left-back. There were some reports when he arrived at City that potentially he may be going out on loan to Girona and they were quickly quashed and it was no easy part of the first team. He got a, a sort of a proper, um, what's it called, announcement when he arrived at the club. But there has been... A few moments in a few matches where you've gone, okay, there's a lot to work there in terms of defensiveness. And this was probably the pinnacle of that, wasn't it? It was a clumsy, clumsy, clumsy tackle. The only concern for me was the fact the referee needed a a VAR review to to decipher the fact it was a red card, considering, I I mean, I don't know what he didn't see the first time. It was was as, as straight red as they come. Yeah, it was certainly naive from him. Um, Before I, I even say anything, I think people need to chill out with the criticism of him, though, because people may um, have very short memories here because Alex Sinchenko was the same way when he first started playing left back. I mean, one of my first games inside an English stadium was one of the early games of him playing left back, and it was at the St. Mary's in the 2018 season, maybe. And he got ripped to shreds. It might have been by Theo Walcott, like 29-year-old washed (laughs) Theo Walcott. Um so, you know, it's a it's a betting in process, especially the step up from Anderlecht to, to Manchester City in the Champions League is is a huge one. Um, with that being said, I never, ever, ever for the entirety of my life will understand players making last ditch tackles that mm. will be clear red cards. I get it under mm. certain circumstances. You think back to the Spanish Super Cup about two or three years ago. Yeah, I, th- I, I want to say it was it was maybe like Sergio Ramos took somebody down from behind. I can't, was it Ramos I can't, or was it one of, one of the other Real Madrid players? You carry yeah, on. I'll, I, I'll try I, and find out. I who can't it was. remember who it was, but either way, it was like a full fifty yard sprint and tackle them from behind. But it was in the dying moments of of a match that they were trying to get back into the game, mm. uh, get back into that game. So that makes sense. In this. City were all over Copenhagen. They were eventually going to score. They should have scored one, maybe two at that point. Um, there's no sense in making that tackle. If if you have to let them go and trust Ederson to either make the save or think we're going one nil down here, you're still probably going to come back and score three or four. It's just it's just yeah. naive. Um, but he's a young he's a young guy. You know, I said on Twitter 
if he was 29 and, and kind of an experienced player, he'd never wear a city shirt again. But he's not. He's a young guy. He's he's new into the team. Pep is still going to relish coaching him for all the things that we've seen in the last few weeks. And it's a huge, it's a huge, you know, learning moment. It's going to be a teaching moment for Guardiola. Um, and you know, luckily this came in a game that ended up kind of being a dead rubber, and and we somewhat got away with it. I mean, we'll be without him for the remaining matches, and that will have to, you know, that will impact the mm. squad depth a bit. But. Um, other than that, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Players players do this from time to time, especially young players. Yeah, it was um, Fede Valverde in the Super Cup who sort of <laughs> assaulted uh, Alvaro Morata on the halfway line. Go and check that out. It was a really, really funny video. Um, uh, what what are the rules in the Champions League? Is it a three-match ban or is it a one-match ban? Because I remember I think Kyle Walker got one, three, didn't he? But yeah, that was violent um, conduct. Yeah, for for Kyle Walker's, which was yeah. again a little bit silly. Um, but but yeah, he's spot on. I mean, if City were signing him for his defensive attributes, they'd have gone for Eric Peters, or they'd have got Leighton Baines out of retirement, or someone like that. Because, like like you said, Guardiola's going to relish coaching this guy because he wasn't signed for that sort of left back, uh, traditional left back role. He's he's clearly an unbelievable talent on the ball, and we've seen that with a, an assist and a couple of chances created and a few shots. Um, but yes, yeah, he doesn't need the criticism, but from an overall point of view, players who do that, and it's a spare of the moment, isn't it? You know, he didn't mean to get sent off. He's trying to compete, but just in that moment gets caught out a little bit and, and you know, he's going to learn from it. I think it's it's safe to say, what is he, 21, 22 years old? He, he's certainly going to learn from it. Um, Someone who else maybe needs to learn from this game, Riyad Mahrez missing yet another penalty. Now, I'm hesitant to say yet another because he scored a load of penalties for City, specifically in the Champions League and in high-pressure moments. But it is another penalty miss for Riyad Mahrez. And considering how important they can be in games and considering how, um, what's the word, favoured they are to the attacking team, you do kind of need a, a successful penalty taker if you're going to be a successful team in the Champions League. Um, again, the debate is rumbling on about Mahrez and his penalty taking for me. Before last night, I would have 100% backed him. However, how many times do you give him the opportunity and, and another miss pops up? I think it's important to note he has been potent, but I don't know. Is that is that it for Mahrez and penalties in, in, in the next game if City get one? And I don't know, Haaland is on the pitch along with Riyad Mahrez. Is it is it going to be Erling Haaland who takes it over him? For me, probably yes. Yeah, I'd say if Haaland's on the pitch, he's, he's the number one taker. The... I've always thought that Kevin De Bruyne should take more penalties. I know he, well, he had... doesn't like it, does it? He, he, he's I, yeah. said he doesn't like to take them, which is weird because he's so good. But even I he's just, missed them. Even he's the, missed them as well. Yeah, he missed the one. I think it was what Liverpool. Liverpool, Liverpool was it Liverpool yeah. away in the empty at stadium home. Or, at okay. home in the empty stadium? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just always felt like he'd be a good penalty taker. Obviously, we saw the one that he scored at the Bernabeu, um, which you know at the time was one of you'd have to say one yeah. of the bigger penalties in city's history. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know where you go from here. Mara's has, has done well in moments. You know, he had the one against Dortmund against Spurs. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I would go with Kevin De Bruyne, but if he doesn't want to do it, then I think you stick with Mara's because we've seen the rest of the group can't absolutely can't do it. So, um, mm. You know, it's a shame. Raheem Sterling actually scored a lot from the spot. Even if it was on the rebound, he always seemed <laughs> to score. 
even yeah, if it was like, like it was the first, second, or third attempt, he he, he did always <laughs> yeah. seem to score them. Yeah, um, here's a question from me, not from a listener, but um, if City get to a, it doesn't even have to be a final, it can be a knockout game in the Champions League and we need five takers to take one. Who are you putting in there and why is it Moonbeam, Moonchester, um, the kit man and uh, and uh, who else can we throw in there as well? I don't know. It, it just if, if City had five penalty takers, I don't know off the top of your head if you could get to five without I think I can. Edison. Go on. Well, well, he's. I think he's in the list, but... Uh, in no particular order, because I know there's some controversy on how we how you want to order your penalty takers. I'm going to go with Holland, De Bruyne, yeah. Foden. Um, but I think he's another one who doesn't like it. I can't remember which yeah, one, well, when it was. Nut up! You're going to eventually <laughs> have to do it to win big tournaments. It's just going to happen. Yeah. Uh, what am I at? Three. All right. Ederson is four. I need one more. <laughs> You've said that with such G- a straight face. Gundogan. Which a lot. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I'm, I'm unsure why Gundogan isn't higher up than that list. I'm not saying your list, but I mean in general, because he, he slotted one at Wembley a couple of weeks ago for Germany. I think he scored And he most scored of one in a Champions City. League final, did he not? Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. Um He's definitely missed one or two, I remember. But um, but yeah, it's, it's a it's an eternal problem, isn't it? Yeah. And all we can say about it is that Erling Haaland has a hundred percent record from the spot in a City shirt. Um, right, okay. Then the main talking point: what went before was was a little bit nonsense because I don't know if it if the red card would have happened or if the penalty would have happened if it wasn't for this. But um, Rodri's goal being disallowed quite early on. I'm not quite sure what minute was in, but it was sort of early on in the contest, first 15 minutes or so. Um, absolutely superb strike. Genuinely one of those goals where you go, oh, when you're watching it, takes your breath away. How it, The way it dropped, the way you hit it, fantastic. Keep probably could have done a little bit better, but um, he made plenty of saves throughout the two games, so we'll, we'll let him off. Obviously gave City an early lead, but then it was ruled out, uh, quite remarkably actually, for brushing Riyad Mahrez's right glove. I'm not even quite sure it would have touched his hand if it wasn't for the thickness of his gloves. Um, which which then, on review, was eventually ruled out by the referee. Now, the rules, I believe, the UEFA rules for the Champions League, which are ever-changing, may I add, state that no longer can a goal be ruled out for any sort of handball in the build-up to a goal unless it's come off the, the taker immediately, um, so the person who scores a goal, or the assist has come from that touch with the hand. So I'm pretty sure in saying you can, it can hit a hand um, non-deliberately. A player can pass it to a player, and then a player can shoot and score. This wasn't even that. There was there was a the, the brush of the hand. There was a touch from Mares. There was a touch from Alvarez, and then there was a shot. So there's three or four touches in between the the phantom handball, let's call it, and then the goal going in. Yet the referee. Knowing that rule, or presumably knowing that rule, at least you hope he knew that rule, has ruled it out for what we believe to be him deeming it as deliberate handball. Now, there's a lot to wrap your head around there, Adam, but it was absurd. I genuinely don't know why it's not stood, because for all intents and purposes, it was it was legal. Yeah, I mean, he made the right decision from the get-go, right? Was to, yeah, yeah. to allow the goal. Um, this is where the issue is not about VAR, but about humans. The VAR didn't, there wasn't a robot in his ear that said, please come look at shot. (laughs) There is a human who clearly doesn't know the rules in his Mm -hmm. ear that said, hey, you might want to come look at this. He goes over and and then 
the actual match official, you know, makes makes the mistake. I, I don't get how you get that wrong, especially because this rule is ever changing. Yes, and I know we as football fans are always like, God, what is the handball rule this year? But mm. as a referee, because it's always changing, for me, it's the rule you should know the best because it's the one yeah. that you've got to study up on every single year. Yeah. Um, I don't really have much to say. It was the wrong call. Um, everybody on earth knew that it was the wrong call, except for the one man officiating the game. I don't get how in 2022 referees aren't former players yet. I know there's biases and stuff that we'd have to get around and, and over, but I still don't understand how referees can call big games that they've never experienced. I don't think I'll ever understand that. Yeah. I think it I yeah. think referees should always be people that have played at a high level. I don't know if there I'm sure there's plenty of hoops to jump through to to get to that, but mm. I just it, it's incredible to me that 99 people in a room make one decision and the one that makes the the wrong decision is the one that's in charge of everything. I'll never understand it. But you say that we haven't played. You and I haven't played at a high level. Everyone else listening to this likely hasn't played at a high level. The broadcasters may, some of them have played at a high level, some of them haven't. Yet everyone else can still see that's absurd. For me, the problem is the fact that you've got referees as such a protected breed. And with VAR, they get they get more protection. They get that the bubble has almost gone from um, liquid to steel in terms of the way it's penetrated. There's absolutely no wrong these referees can do it in their eyes, at least. And yet, they are the only people who do not understand, it, without sounding like Fabian Delph, the basics of football. Because you you could you could have played a five a side game in Withington. And you could have seen that and gone, you know what, that's a bit dodgy. You can't rule that out. You know, just the the inconsequentialness of it. You can watch it once and go, yeah, that hasn't benefited anyone in any way, shape or form. It wasn't deliberate. His arm, his arm was actually coming down out of the way. If you're going to give Myers any credit, it's the fact that um, he was moving his arm out of the way. If it was going the opposite way, you go, fair enough. Um, should we do a little bit of VAR chat then? I know it's tedious and I know everyone's heard it all before, but there's been a few decisions this week, hasn't there, in the Champions League, which have made made the, its ugly head reappear once more. Um, in the Chelsea versus AC Milan game, Tomori was sent off for, well, for me, literally existed, like literally running. I'm not quite sure. Uh, you can make a case, possibly a penalty, but a red card was was one of the major, major decisions I've, I've had a head scratch over. And obviously, as we've discussed, it's played a, a major part in City's match. Now, it feels like its usage has now superseded the need that was uh, that, that it was brought in for, essentially. When VAR came in, there was a there was the clamour for it because the decisions being made by referees were so bad and they were costing teams matches. Now, three years later, has that changed? Clearly not. We're having a discussion about how City were denied a goal in a goalless draw because of a, a terrible decision from either one referee or, or two in terms of the VAR as well. So instead of stopping the conversations around referee decisions, it's intensified them and, and the it's no longer for me a contingency for bad decisions. It's a fully-fledged part of the game and the three moments that we spoke about were all re-refereed. They weren't checked by VAR to see if the decision was correct. They came to a brand new conclusion. Whether or not they were right or wrong decisions, by the way, it doesn't matter. They were re-refereed and that's not what it was for. 
No, it wasn't. And and I was somebody that was really looking forward to VAR coming into European football. Mm. You know, as an American, I have seen the great side of video replay and and referees being able to use it. And and my thought was, you know, I was having this conversation with uh, an older city fan that um is a, a member of the family that I stay with when I go out there for games and he's been, you know, season ticket holder for 30 odd years. And he was absolutely adamant that it was going to ruin the game. And, um, you know, I was saying, you know, what if city go to a champions league final and, and, you know, they, they, they lose a game off of a bad refereeing decision that can be rectified. You would be, you know, you'd be devastated. Um, but you're right. It's, it's become essentially a second referee on the pitch. Um, that is totally re-refereeing the game and and oftentimes getting the calls wrong. Now, it's funny, though, because I find that in English football, there's way more of the re-refereeing than I see in mm. La Liga, Serie A, Liga. Um, but what's funny is some of the referees in those leagues are worse, and they could just get – they just flat out make the wrong call with or without VAR. So – the for me, it's just all about the standard of refereeing everywhere. Because let's not forget, mm. like I said a minute ago, there, this is not a robot. This is a person sitting in a room that is controlling the VAR that says, you should come look at this. And obviously, obviously, they have some influence over the on-field referee. We like to think mm. that the on-field referee has the final say. And yes, they do. But if they're being told by two or three people in their ear, you should come look at this. I think Mara's touched the ball with his hand. They, they're going to be influenced by that. It's just human nature. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was um, somebody who was all for VAR, and I've probably hit my wall at this point to say that it's made the game worse off. I won't. I don't think I'll ever go as far as saying it should be removed, and I'd like to go back to the way things were because I'm adamant that some huge blown calls. Imagine before goal line technology, but but we have VAR, the Gerard goal in the World Cup, right? You'd want uh, the VAR, Lampard. Or Lampard. Yeah, 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 thank you. You'd yeah, want yeah. that. Same thing. You know? Same thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's I don't know where we go from here. It just it just has to be the the role of the VAR just has to be tamed. How, how does that work? So, so, for example, for me, I I was um, alongside your your good friend uh, in the school of thought that I didn't want it near football because. I'm not going to be sort of all self-righteous and say, "Oh well, I predicted this." Sort of old man in a in a rocking chair saying that you know this is this was coming. Armageddon was just around the corner, but it, it did feel a bit of a slippery slope when this was introduced. Where do you where do you go back? Because again, like you say, it is completely completely reliant on the humans getting it right. There is so much subjectivity in football that it can never be yes and no, but. It, there has to be something that changes because right now the, the the debate is tedious. I know we're engaging in it, but what what exactly is it? For for me, someone who watches a lot of cricket, specifically Test cricket, they have referral systems which are, are led by the captains, and typically at the start of an innings, each team will get. Uh, it's changed in the last couple of years, but but usually it's around two referrals. Where if they feel like a decision has been wrong on the field, they can refer it, and it goes to. Um, a decision, a decision review system is what it's called there, but it's essentially it's, it's a third umpire. Would that be something you'd be like, okay, then, then we can do that? And, and for example, um, I, I don't know how to implement it and what decisions you'd be able to say, yes, refer that, no, refer that, because 
would you say offsides are yes and no? But again, there's been debate there over some sort of toenails and whatnot, or if it would be strong tackles that the third referee, or sorry, the the VAR referee goes in and says, let's have a look at that. Um, you know, you, you the captain refers that. Should we have another look at that? And, and the, the VAR does, or, or, or whatever it may be. Um, I don't know, because it feels like something has to change and perhaps it is limiting its use at this point. Yeah, I mean, we have that something similar to that in American sports. It's called a challenge, where you challenge a decision and they go and, and look at it again. Um, for me, I think the length in which a referee can stare at a monitor has to be minimized. If you are looking at a decision that is somewhat subjective and you need two minutes and 150 replays to do it, it's not clear enough that the decision on the field that you yourself made, if you made the decision, you saw it in real time, and you're the one looking at it over and over and over for minutes straight, if it takes you that long to come to a decision, it's not clear enough to change your decision on the field. There has Mm -hmm. to be some sort of time limit. Um, I don't know what that time limit would be, um, but one thing that they do well in American sports is, and I hate this term because it's become this like overused term that means nothing at this point, but the clear and obvious. In, in the NFL, if something is not clear and obvious, they are like, get back to the game now. Yeah, we can't. Yeah. We, there's not enough to overturn that. Get back to the game. Um, that's the biggest thing for me is, is I find the worst calls often come from the longest checks. Yeah. Um, Especially when we're sitting at home saying there's not enough in that. There's not enough in that. And they're Mm. just looking. It's almost as if the monitor has given them reason to go and look for something to change when the monitor Mm. should be there to confirm their thoughts as a professional referee, not for Mm. them to be influencing them for change. It should be there to confirm their thoughts. And then if they see on the monitor, oh, I need to make a change, make a change. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't really know how it gets fixed other than referees understanding the rules better, which it's literally their only job. Um, Well, I know there's a lot of them that are like lawyers and such, but um, I have no idea how any of them pass the bar exam but still can't figure out what a handball is. Um, So I don't know. I don't know where it goes, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's sort of that's where we're at with it, I suppose, isn't it? Um another one from cricket that, that seems to help is is the this this idea of umpire's call, which if again it's a little bit more obligatory in cricket because it can be a yes and a no, but if the decision review system come it isn't able to decipher whether or not it's hitting the wickets, if it's hitting the leg, whatever, blah blah blah. Um there's an umpire's call and whatever the decision was on field, they stick with that. And I feel as if for a handball or sorry, a, a quote unquote handball from Mars is against Copenhagen to bring it back. That'd be a perfect decision, where, which would be like umpire's call or referee's call. The original decision on the pitch stays because there's not enough conclusive evidence. And that's what it was meant to be. Clear and obvious was meant to be. OK, you look at it for one second, you go, yeah, that's that quite clearly and quite obviously is a mistake and you change it. But it's not. I'd like, I'd like to see them be studious in the moment. I'd like there to be the monitor and then underneath <laughs> the monitor, there's a little pedestal and it's got this big fat book and it's the book of football laws. Yeah. And as they're yeah. Looking at the monitor, they're you know, licking their fingers yeah. and and fl- flipping through the book and trying to find. That's yeah. what I want to see to make me feel like they actually know what they're doing. Well, I what I want to see. I know we're completely going off topic, but I want to see a 
big tank of water or whatever liquid you can choose. Maybe the fans vote on it before the game. And if it takes them longer than a minute to come to a decision, there's a trap door and they just fall in. Imagine Michael Oliver or Anthony Taylor dropping into a big tank of milk or something. Um, that would make everyone's life a lot better. And, and I guess we'll, we'll call that a day for part one. Um, we'll be back in with part two, hopefully a little bit more seriously, to speak Liverpool and City's upcoming Anfield trip. All roads lead to Anfield then. Um, City returned to Premier League action with a trip to Liverpool on Sunday in what is shaping up to be quite a tasty fixture, I think you can say. It's the sort of games in recent years that hasn't really needed any introduction. Both teams have been at the top. When the teams haven't been at the top, it's still been a big game. But I feel like there's a different layer to it this season, given Liverpool's form. Before we chat about City's approach and what we may expect from City um, and Guardiola and whatnot, what are your thoughts heading into Sunday's match? Well, first of all, I hope that all roads don't lead to Anfield because I need the windows of my car to remain on my car. (laughs) Um, But second of all, what are my thoughts? I... I said in the episode leading up to the Manchester Derby that if Liverpool become irrelevant again, this fixture becomes relevant. I wouldn't say I'm fully there because no. there's always this sneaky feeling that they'll click into gear and they'll win you know, 10 or 15 games on the spin. Um, but at the moment, they're kind of <laughs> irrelevant. Let's be honest. You know, they're, I think they're in 10th yeah. in the league. Um, they've lost a couple big players to injury. They lost Stadio Mane to Bayern Munich, which I think they're kind of probably ruining at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Anfield. Before City had money, before City had any success, Anfield was still a place that we just didn't win games. Um, so that's always, you know, kind of a bogey game, no matter how good Liverpool are. Um, but on form, you'd have to say that you're going into this pretty confident. Um, and I think that City now hopefully smell a bit of blood in the water with Liverpool and can say, we have been the dominant team of this era, not you, and we're going to prove it by when you're down, kick the shit out of you while you're down. Yeah, That's, that's yeah, hopefully um, what the mentality of this, this, this team is. Yeah, and, and I assume it definitely will be. But the difference is whether or not that translates to the pitch. Um, you mentioned Anfield then. Here's one, Adam. The last time City won at Anfield with supporters in the stadium, I was three years old. Now, I'm pretty sure, I did a little counting before, I'm pretty sure that's a run of 20 matches, excluding the behind-closed-doors game in 2021. And it's crazy when you consider how dominating City have been in the Premier League at Every big ground you can think of. I, off the top of my head, I can remember big wins at the Emirates. I can remember big wins at Stamford Bridge under Mancini, going back last season as well. A real statement win. Kevin De Bruyne's absolute masterclass in 2017-18. I can remember multiple, multiple big wins at Old Trafford. Um, not, not, not too many at the... Well, none at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but a few at White Hart Lane before that. Um, who else? You know, no, all these clubs in the Premier League that have been there. You can remember City turning them over on their own patch except Liverpool, bar that one sort of crazy season in 2020, 2021, when, when Liverpool were, were you know struggling a little bit like they are now. It is mental, isn't it, when you consider how, how good City have been over the last decade, that there is just still, still this thing about Anfield that gets City. 
I think part of it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you kind of get it driven into your head that you don't win here and therefore you'll mm. never win there. It's it's kind of similar to, as you know, my second love is my hockey team, the the Capitals. And we lost to our rivals, Pittsburgh, in the playoffs. What, what are their names? Every, Tell the everyone. Tell penguins, what, the what Penguins. Like- <laughs> Sorry. I can't take any sports team. Sorry, what penguins, are the what seriously. are some of the nicknames of clubs in England? <laughs> no, but the, it's not their real name. The Yorkshire name, is Pudding it? Pies. <laughs> don't don't give me any of that. Um, no, 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 but it's not the real name. The Pittsburgh Penguins is pathetic. And now that's a little bit of alliteration. But I can't take any sports team called the Penguins seriously. But you should it should matter that your rivals. I'm sticking up for them. No, hey, listen, no, I, I I fully agree with you. Yeah, at least our, our name makes sense. We play in the capital of this country. Um, But anyways, anyway, commence. um, We lost to Pittsburgh every single year, no matter what. Mm. We had we we smashed the regular season records. We would win the division. We would win the best record, like accumulate the most points in the league, Um, and we'd lose to them every single year. And it just became this self fulfilling prophecy that when you saw Pittsburgh was the team you drew in the next round. Okay, well, it was a nice season. Um, Yeah. Eventually, the duck just has to break, and the and the curse kind of gets lifted. I think that winning there, even without supporters in 2020, was huge for this team because I think they go into the game with a lot more confidence now. And you know, I think they probably should have won the game last season there. Um, some dodgy refereeing decisions, and I hate just blaming things on on refereeing decisions. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I look at the game last season, and I hate kind of using this analogy, but you put Holland in that city team last season. They're six two up at halftime, uh, easily. Yeah. The way that the way that they yeah. played, the chances they created. I mean, they carved Liverpool to shreds. Um, so, yeah, I think they've they've got to go into this confident. And I don't uh, like I said, I don't I don't necessarily think there's a thing about Anfield. I think when you go and look back at the Pep Klopp era, which I hate, there's no such thing as the Pep Klopp era. There's the Pep Guardiola era where where Jurgen Klopp was second and was a loser a lot. To Pep Guardiola, that's just that's what the era was. Um, when you go back and look at that era, his teams were built to beat City, mm-hmm. just like just like Tottenham. That's why I think we never win at Tottenham. Those teams are built to beat City, to absorb pressure and hit you on the break, and that was City's vulnerability for years, and still kind of is to this day. If you are a good team on the break, you can get at City, and that Liverpool team was fantastic on the break. And the reason that the the pendulum has kind of swung, and now the games are a bit more even, is because Liverpool don't play that way anymore. And they do play, they do come out and they play you a bit more toe to toe and play football. And City are a fantastic team when that happens. So that's why we've got better results there. Um, but I think, like any season, I'm looking at this and I say, if you go in and get a point, I'm happy. That might be a loser mentality, but that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> I love that big. Big juicy round, <laughs> sort of like yeah. like gladiator style. You know, get in there, show them who's boss. But yeah, I'll take a point. And I guess that's sort of where a lot of city support because crazy, really, crazy shit happens there. Crazy it shit does. happens there. It does. And and I fear, from my point of view, I fear the the script writers have something planned. Given how, and I guess we'll move on to to Liverpool themselves. Given how woeful Liverpool have been at times, um, let's have a think. Fulham, first game of the season. Dreadful. People were saying it was just a blip. Crystal Palace at home, Darwin Nunes, WWE-style headbutt on on Joachim Anderson. Woeful. Um, Manchester United away, 
horrendously woeful. Um, there's been a couple more in there as well. Everton, I think they're probably the better team, should have won, but still didn't, weren't able to score. And then obviously against Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium last weekend, bits and pieces of good football, but on the whole, pretty woeful itself. So it's gearing up, isn't it? City's Anfield curse is going to come and haunt them. City unbeaten so far this season. Only team left in the Premier League to, to be so um, one point, I think it is, behind the league leaders Arsenal. It's gearing up for for a Liverpool masterclass, but but let me read some injuries that they've got heading into this game. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who, for me, I wasn't even sure he was still at the club. He's, it's been that long since he's played a football match. Naby Keita, who obviously had that fantastic shot in the Champions League final, went out for a throw-in, I think it was. Um, Curtis Jones, I think he's a decent player, but but still he's another injury. Andrew Robertson, obviously first choice left back. Arthur, who arrived in the summer window and is supposedly out for about 17 months or whatever his injury is, which was the remarkable. Most, that was the most bizarre transfer of the summer for me. Yeah, it's, it's up there with Kim Kallstrom to Arsenal quite a few years ago. Um, and then more recently, Luis Diaz, who is probably one of their better players this season. Alexander-Arnold. Now, if, if anything, that injury is going to stop the tiresome discourse around whether or not he can or can't defend. Um, and then obviously Joel Matip as well. So that's a hefty, hefty injury list. They've obviously shifted to this 4-2-3-1 system in recent weeks to try and find some sort of form. They've alternated between Firmino and Darwin Nunes as the the head of that that system, that, that formation. What do you expect from Liverpool? Will it be enough to, to get anything from City? And should City be worried heading into that game about the p- potential of dropping any points? Well, when I'm just thinking of how they might line up um, with the Diaz injury now, I guess both, if they stick with a 4-2-3-1, which I, I doubt, I think they I think they may still go back to a 4-3-3. But if they stick with the 4-2-3-1, I mean, do they have four fit attackers? I guess Salah, Jata, Nunez, and Firmino, and then they won't have yeah. anybody off the bench, right? Um, um, Cavaleo. Fabio Carvalho is right, but he's not attacker. he's not somebody that would play in the front three. He could play in that ten that ten slot. It's one of those games in which they obviously have a ton of quality. No matter how they line up, they're going to have quality. Um, and when the big boys come to town, you get up for it. You know, you mm. you, you you listed some games there that um, they didn't play well in, but I, I think it's a lot easier for these players to get up for a game against City than it is you know against Palace at home. Um, so of course there's a threat. There's always going to be a threat when it's Liverpool. Um, you know, we've got, we've still got some scars from Anfield in the past few years and that's not necessarily ever going to go away. But if there is a time in which I've headed into a game at Anfield feeling like, and I know I said I would take a point, but if there's been a time in the past decade where I've mm-hmm. gone into a trip to Anfield and felt like we could like properly smash them here. It's mm-hmm. probably this one, just based on you know the the form sheet of both sides. And you think if if De Bruyne, Foden, Grealish, and Holland have a big day out, they could put four or five past them easily. Um, especially the way that that Liverpool have been defending. I mean, a couple of the the players that maybe have, have struck fear in you in in the the good old days of Liverpool, uh, they don't anymore. So, I think if City are on their game and play to the to the level that we've seen them hit in plenty of games this season. If they play to the level that they played against United in the first 60 minutes, they should they should absolutely trounce them. 
Um, but something about Anfield, it's the kind of game where Liverpool drag you into the kind of game that they want to drag you into. Mm-hmm. And then and then it's kind of, you know, 50-50 from there. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's important to note they haven't been imperious at home. Um, despite the wobbles, they've dropped points against Palace, they've dropped points against Brighton, conceded quite a few goals as well. So, so there's definitely hope for City. I guess I guess at Anfield, though, for City, you, you go into that game expecting a defeat and therefore anything on the back of it is, is a benefit, really. That's just the way it is historically. Um, I guess Liverpool will be looking at recent comments from Pep Guardiola after the Copenhagen game where he said that, that Haaland, and I quote, and I, I won't do the accent for fear of being cancelled, but they... Uh, Haaland was so, so tired and couldn't get on the pitch. He also said that Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden, who did come on quite late on, though, I will add, had niggles. So there is a sense that perhaps City's recent schedule is catching up with them. Or is that some beautifully played mind games from from the Baldy heading into this fixture? I think it's a bit of mind games. I also think it's Pep being a drama queen, which he can be from time to time. <laughs> Slay queen. <laughs> if if they had issues that hampered their ability to play, they wouldn't have played. Pep is a cautious yeah. man. He's not going to play somebody if he doesn't think they have they physically can or if it would put them in harm's way for bigger games down the road, especially when we're going to Anfield at the weekend and you know, you know that Pep loves these matchups with Liverpool. Um, mm. I think we're going to see the best possible starting 11 on uh, Sunday. Which would be at, at this moment in time. Um, <clears throat> I, I guess we'll leave the defense because you've said it, I've said it. I, it doesn't really matter. Or, or maybe the Well, I think, it, I think, it, what, I think what, it, what, it's what different. What happens at right back and left back? Yeah. So I think if I were picking this team, I would go, let's see, Kyle Walker is out. So I would go... Ederson, Cancelo on the right, Akanji. Mm, no, I'd go Diaz, Laporte. See, this is where it gets tricky. This is this is this is a trickier question than than I yeah, thought it would be yeah. because Akanji has done nothing wrong, nothing wrong. Mm. But I want Cancelo at right back, and I want Diaz and Laporte in there. Just their experience in this game. They've they've played this game before. I think they're the two best center backs on the team, Laporte and Diaz. Yeah. And then I think I'd go Nathan Ake at left back. I don't think you're yeah. putting Sergi Gomez in there. So I'd agree. That leaves a kanji out. That's unfortunate, but um that's my back four. Cancelo, Diaz, Laporte, Ake. Um midfield Just picks to jump itself. In there, I think you yeah. I think you probably could Swap Laporte and Akanji. Laporte's obviously just back from injury. Came off yeah. early against um, against Copenhagen, so potentially th- there's an easy swap there. But yeah, I- I'm wholeheartedly with Nathan Ake at left back. I think that that has to happen. I, mm-hmm. um, Akanji at right back for me was a. Uh, uh, it's hard to say in a, a game with ten men, but there's just something not not really there with him. You can tell he's a centre half playing at right back as opposed to a sort of a defender playing at right back. He's been flawless so far, but I, I do think he's stronger in the middle. Yep. Um, and then in the front six picks itself for me. Uh, Rodri, De Bruyne, Bernardo in midfield, and then Foden on the right, Holland down the middle, Grealish on the left. Yeah. I think yeah. that's that's your recipe for, for three points. Nice, nice. Yeah, I guess the only other question there is, 
Do you throw in Gundwan, who who actually this time last year after City drew two two at Anfield, Gundwan was injured, and I said that he was probably City's biggest miss. Obviously, at that point, City didn't have a centre forward, and it was a, a case of him arriving late in the box. We saw the link up he had with Haaland early on, so maybe he's an option. But but I'd agree, it's got to be um, Roger Bernardo, De Bruyne, Grealish, Foden, Haaland. That is that's worked for City in recent weeks. It, it worked for City against United, and and sort of fingers crossed, it works again. I think I think to cause a little bit of PTSD around Anfield, some post traumatic Scouse disorder. You've got to get you've got to get Gundogan coming off the bench just so that they remember what happened last time Gundogan came off the bench and it impacted them. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a day that was! I actually saw someone sent um, a tweet from from when Coutinho went two 0 up against City on the final day, and I had shivers when I saw it again. Well, what what are we now? October, so that's about five months out. I had shivers at the thought of that, and uh, what a beautiful ending it was. It was, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I hope there's plenty of songs and uh, chants to remind Anfield of that day, and I'm sure there will be. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, that's of course to come on Sunday. I, I guess we'll call it a day there. Anything else to add before we get out of here, Adam? Or is it just uh, what was your feeling? Sort of like not in terms of footballing, but personally, because this fixture the, over the last few years has been the sort of one where whenever the last game finishes in the build-up to City versus Liverpool, it's been shaky, it's been shivers, it's been sweats at night. Is that the same now? Do you still have that sort of that little under-feeling in your belly about this game or, or is it a little bit calmer because of Liverpool's league position? Yeah, it's definitely a little bit calmer because of Liverpool's league position. I'm not going to open up this can of worms yet because we've we've discussed doing a kind of longer episode about, you know, a potential title race with Arsenal, but I feel differently being neck and neck with Arsenal at the top than I do with Liverpool for many different reasons. Mm. Um, The big thing for me about this fixture personally, as you've requested is, (laughs) and I hinted at this earlier, I hate, hate that this era will go down as the Pep Guardiola Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool City era, because it is simply not, and it never will be. Mm. Um, You and I talked on this podcast last season. I said, if Liverpool go on to win the title this season, as in last season, then I'll start to discuss, Mm. you know, there is this great rivalry between these two teams where they're trading trophies. That's not the case. City have won four. They've won one. You go back and look at the four that City have won. Liverpool finished second in, what, two, three of them? I think uh, one, two, oh, maybe, maybe, only, maybe two, maybe two. Yeah, right. Because yeah. the the empty stadium season, they finished fourth. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at the cups that City have won. They didn't go through Liverpool to win them at any point. Um, you look at the cups that Liverpool have won. The only one that they won where they went through City was the FA Cup semi final last season. Um, you look at City or. Liverpool's run to the Champions League in 2019 didn't go through City. So there is mm-hmm. this rivalry and this era doesn't exist. And yeah. the more that City beat them, the more that that era starts to disappear into the wind. And that's perhaps the biggest league title I could personally win. Is it's <laughs> it's this own type the the own competition that I play in my head is that this <laughs> this era does not exist. And the more we beat yeah. them, the more it disappears. And that's that's important to me. 
Which is very childish. Not- I know it's very childish. Yeah. I know that I know that you know, Amos, I wish I didn't have this much hate in my heart. I wish <laughs> that all of my decisions and my thoughts weren't fueled by hate, but they are. And that's what makes this game perfect. <laughs> And that's a nice place to call it a day for now. Um, as always, if you do not already, hit follow on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, at City Report Pod is the handle for all three of those. Adam, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. And I've been Amos Murphy. Until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.